Hi there, and welcome to another episode of African Business Stories. Africa is the only region in the world where more women than men choose to be entrepreneurs. What this says to me is that the story of business in Africa is the story of the African businesswoman. So we're on a journey of discovery to find these women and tell their stories. On the show, we will hear from female innovators and entrepreneurs building and running businesses in Africa. They will share the highs and lows of their entrepreneurial journey and lessons learned along the way. Some of these women you may know and many you may not, but I assure you that all their stories are inspiring in their own right. My hope is that these stories will inspire you to reach for your dreams and leave a legacy for generations to come. It makes such a big difference to us if you can rate, review, and share our episodes. You can do this mainly on Apple Podcasts, and you can find us on all podcast platforms. If you're in Africa, Spotify is now available, so check us out there. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. Today, I chat with Jumoke Dada, the founder and CEO of Taylo, a Nigerian furniture and lifestyle brand that utilizes locally sourced materials to create all their furniture. We talk about how her love for the creative process led her away from architecture to furniture design, how she has distinguished herself in the market using technology to build a direct-to-customer online furniture retail business. Her goal is to create a brand that Africans all around the world can be proud of. Jumoke is definitely one to watch. So let's get into it. Hi, Jumoke. Welcome to African Business Stories. Hi. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, so, so were any of your parents entrepreneurial at all? Did they run any businesses when you were growing up? Funny enough, like, no, no, no at all. They are just civil servants, right? Uh, they work for the government mm-hmm. all their lives. Um, I think the closest to seeing a family member run a business was my grandfather that owned a pharmacy. And I know then my dad used to take us to his um, pharmacy when we were kids to just... You know, sometimes we would help him maybe sell some drugs when people come around. But I think that was the closest. But my parents, no, they were just civil servants. Wow. How many siblings do you have? Uh, just one. Okay. So what did you, when you were young, what, what did you, when you thought about growing up, what did you aspire to be? To be honest, I I wanted to be an astronaut, to be honest. I, I remember when I was... Are you serious? Yeah, I wanted to be an astronaut. You know, then I used to go for a mathematics competition from my school, like Cowbell Mathematics Competition and all of that. So I really wanted to be an astronaut or be a scientist or something like that. But I think, unfortunately, this part of the world, not a lot of people are privileged to, you know, experience something like that. But I still want to be an astronaut still. Maybe one day when I get a chance to be <laughs> I never thought of, you know, starting a business or something. Well, my dad saw me more as an artist, so because as a child, uh, he would tell me I would cut every paper in the house and make dresses from them. So he, he, maybe he thought I was going to be a tailor, and he was like, no, I can't let you be that person. I think architecture is more classy, and you can get to create your architecture. And I think I found myself studying architecture at the end of the day because my dad forced me to. And more so, he had some like real estate projects he was working on, and he wanted me to be like the architect to manage all of those things. Right. So I guess he was from his own selfish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fine. 
Yeah, that's that's normal with our parents. They kind of shape and, and chart the initial part of your careers. It's interesting that you said your dad helped uh, pick the course that you studied because you mean you, you ended up getting a first class in university. So, so you did actually enjoy studying architecture. I don't think I enjoyed the course, to be honest. I know, I know my dad wanted me to, to do construction, master's construction in Germany. So like, it was like, oh, you have to finish on your first class. So after that, you go and study construction. I wanted to have a PhD by the age of 24. You do your PhD at 24. By 26, you're a registered architect. Like he had everything planned out. And- oh, wow. <laughs> but but Jumoke had other plans. Funny enough, I, I wanted to flow with the plan. I don't know how I found myself in furniture. I know my dad is this kind of person, even though you're a woman. He wants you to be vast in knowledge. So I, I know at some point he took me to the sawmill. I'll just learn about different types of wood because maybe thought I'll be in, I'll study architecture and I'll practice. And at some point as an architect, you do stuff like roofing and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was, it was more or less like, oh, you really have to know. I know there was a time I had to go into the roof of my house like twice and my dad made me do that. He wanted me to be a grounded person, boy. Yeah. Well, funny enough, I don't know. I, ju- I just feel maybe I, I, I love the course along the line. But <laughs> even in school, most of my lecturers told me I, I design like an artist and architecture isn't like that. I know like in my final year, mm. in my final year, I, I really came up with like some artistic stuff and, you know, my lecturer had to cancel my project. At that time, I told my lecturer that I'm not going to practice architecture because he didn't allow me to do what I wanted to do. That's very interesting. So so how did you then, I, I know you, you, you commented that you don't know how you found yourself in, in, in furniture making, but, but what was going on? How did you make that, just thinking back, how did you make that shift towards furniture making? I think for me, everything happened uh, during my industrial attachment, then at the reconstruction of CB and Marina. Um, I think then I was just an architect, so we follow like the consultants to sites to see. And, and as at the time I joined the project, I think they were at finishing stage. Um, so they had like different uh, furniture contractors, um, people like JB, people like several other big top furniture companies come around. And I think from there, I, because we were consultants on the project, they, we had to like visit some of those furniture factories, right? And I think it was from there, I was like, okay, I think they are doing something interesting here. But like, I feel a lot of people wouldn't really experience what I have to offer as an architect because, you know, architecture is, is a bit limited because you design maybe two, three masterpieces in your entire life and that's it. But I thought with interior design, like a lot of people will sort of experience my spaces and all. So I, at that time, one of the companies that came to bid for the job, I liked their furniture. I liked what they were doing as at that time. And later on, I think one of my, um, one of the architects on the project, one of the resident architects on the project mm. was like, do you want to work there? And I'm like, yeah. So I applied uh, to work as an intern. Um, they, they, they were doing so well, and but it was still centered around projects. But then I really like sort of engaged with them and saw how um, they worked as a furniture company. It was from there, I was like, okay, let me just learn how to um, manage a business because I like my parents were in business before. Um, so from there, I sort of loved the whole idea of um, from wood, something becoming really, really nice. So it just like a bare plank. And for me, it's like a very beautiful furniture coming out of it. 
But at that time, they were doing projects majorly, and I wasn't really interested in it. And, and more so, they were importing raw materials from Italy, and they were doing like contemporary stuff. The MD of the company took us to a conference, um, and there they had like a Japanese and an American designer come around. Mm. And there they were like <laughs> saying, you know what, well, you Africans are consumers. Um, you don't create anything and mm. all of that. You know, it was really insulting, right? And we had like Nigerian designers sit down and hear all of that. And I think we got back to the office and the MD was asking us, what did you guys learn from the conference? And I'm like, you know what? This guy said this and I wasn't happy about it. And it was from that point I made up my mind I was going to start my own business and I'm going to start my own brand. And we are going to create like um, a lot of pieces where we will not only sell here in Nigeria, but also ship not only across Africa, but to as many black people over the world by creating products that black people can use. I think that's how the journey started, although I didn't know what the journey would wow. be. Like, yeah. So what year were you, what, what year was this when you had this particular experience? Um, I think it was in 2016. Yeah. 2016. And, and then when did you graduate from university? Um, I graduated from my master's 2016. Oh, wow. Okay. So you made that decision, you graduated. And, and I note that you didn't actually, you didn't, you didn't work for anybody after you finished university. So you finished university and your goal was to make this a reality. Yeah, I was working on it as a side project, but then I was doing it more like the way an artist would do it. So um, design maybe one or two pieces, do an exhibition, people come around and people love the piece and they buy Right. So that was the way I was doing it initially because I didn't expect that people would want to buy. So when did you did when did you then create a company? When did you then decide I'm going to go forward with this and make it a proper business? Um, sometime around 2017, but I wasn't like too serious about it because I like I didn't really know how to like go about the entire thing. Luckily, I am one of our customers eventually saw what we we're doing, like People that bought from us are like, oh, you this girl, you really can make this a very good business and it can really go big, right? And you know what? I'm going to link you up with someone and guess what? They invested. And that was how we raised our seed round. So they invested into the business at that time. Prior to that time, it was just me and a bit of some carpenters trying to do stuff. But from there, we set up a 540 square meter space. You know, it, it pretty much turned into an e-commerce business where like people can buy online and it really became a proper system employed like i think when we employed the first set of staff i think we employed 10 people at once as at the first time um yeah and from there we've been growing okay so your business is called taylor yeah so what does taylor mean <laughs> so i pretty much like said the story earlier on like i said my dad said i would make clothes from paper and stuff and he didn't want me to be a tailor so that's where the name came from so it's just i had to like record the name such that it doesn't look like taylor so it could probably be a potential brand name yeah but it's still the same storyline, like Taylor. So to, for me, I feel like to my dad, I think the definition of being like a creative person is maybe you have to be a Taylor or something. Right. Yeah. So that's where I really like coined the name from. That's that's interesting. So from the from the beginning, I know so so Taylor is a furniture making company, but it's really at the same time an e-commerce business, primary predominantly. So in the beginning, did you I remember when we when we first met and um, we were talking about your business and I was asking you about competitors and you said you didn't you didn't have any any competitors in your space what do you mean by that are you what are you doing that is different from other furniture makers in because there are lots of them in nigeria 
Yeah, I think there are a lot of furniture companies in Nigeria, uh, but I can't point at any brand currently doing what we are doing, right? Uh, I think we're like the first in the market doing that. Uh, most furniture companies in Nigeria have big showrooms, large showrooms. They have lots of connections and through their contacts or friends, they, they get projects and they get contracts. For pretty much like Taylor, it's totally different. So for instance, in a, in a year, we acquired almost 2,000 customers. Um, of which out of those 2,000 customers, I've never seen up to 50 of them. Interesting. So for us, it's a bit different because more so we are solving like a whole lot of problems the current furniture companies aren't solving. So for us, the problems that we face are sort of unique, things around logistics. Most 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 companies would rather sell to one one customer and they deliver a whole chunk of furniture. In a week, when our truck is delivering, we are probably delivering up to 50 customers on a weekend. Wow. It's crazy because the infrastructure doesn't really support things like that. But, you know, guess what? There's really no brand. I, I know right now there are like, like smaller brands trying to do what we are doing right now. But yeah, but we're like a first move first mover in like mm-hmm. this sort of industry right now because are, you have e-commerce companies like Jumia and Kunga and some of these guys who do like general products yeah but there is no e-commerce brand for furniture like an Ikea or a maid or a bureau or any of these guys that you have abroad where you can communicate shop for furniture from your own house you don't have to visit a showroom you don't have to talk to a designer everything is online and guess what you just stay in your house and they deliver the furniture to you in previous times, people don't. People that have, that can afford to get that are people who have stayed in Europe before, stayed in America, where they can just easily buy from me or buy from Ikea and they ship to them. In Nigeria, no brand is currently doing that, okay. and I think that's 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 really what we want to do, and that's what we want to scale, not just in Nigeria but across Africa as well. That's fantastic. So the furniture comes flat packed, and then people have to set it up themselves. Some come flat pack, some because another thing we realize is Nigerians are not Nigerians love comfort a lot. Yes. They don't want anything that will go That's where I was going. I just need my nails, so I don't see a reason why I have to start screaming with my nails just fixed. So yeah, like most times, you know, you get sometimes you get to ask customers, you want us to uh, pre-install before bringing or you install yourself. But to, to for what I say, I think most Nigerians, only few Nigerians want to install furniture themselves. The others just want it. Just deliver the, what I'm seeing online is what you just delivered to me. Yeah. Talking about challenges that you're facing in business, talk to us about this issue of logistics, because logistics is quite a big deal, not just in Nigeria, but across the continent. When, when people think about selling outside their, their environment, the issue of logistics always comes up. What challenges have you faced with logistics and how have you overcome it to be able to, to grow your business this much? Um. I- as of now, we are still facing issues with logistics, right? Um, I, I, I think we get to read a lot of reviews. Because uh, sometimes I, I really don't know how popular Taylor is till maybe I get people tell me about it. So sometimes I get to see like a lot of reviews from people on Twitter, you know, just normal conversations on Twitter. They don't tag us, but you just I just go through them sometimes. And you get to hear stuff like, oh, maybe at this point, Taylor doesn't know that they are also a logistics company, like comparing us to brands like Amazon. <laughs> creating their own ecosystem. I think for us, what we've been doing is to pretty much uh, partner with, there are some startups in Nigeria right now that 
and doing um, stuff around logistics, not just the um, old traditional way of doing it, where we just have to plug into their own system and um, they help us deliver our goods, right? But even on the long run, we've come to realize that for Taylor to really go really big, and uh, also scale at the rate we wanted to scale. We might end up um, investing or buying a logistics company and um, building it to our own requirements, such that in the long run, because to be honest, you can't really like, rely on third parties when it comes to logistics, especially when you're in a service business like ours. Right. For instance, if I want my furniture, I want my furniture. Some people take a day off just to get the furniture, right? So you get MC. I'm not going to work today because I'm waiting for my tailor furniture to come. You guys shouldn't mess me up. And in that instance, maybe like the third-party logistics company get like a funny driver. Then they don't get to like talk to the driver about it or the company. They call us directly and say, what's going on and all of that. You know, there were times where some customers were really frustrated, right? And I think that day, like... (laughs) After they realized that it wasn't, the fault wasn't really coming from our end. It was from like the driver that was shipping the stuff. <laughs> I think the customer wanted to beat the driver. And like, why did you allow me wait till this time of the night? The girl was like, oh, sorry, and all of that. So for us, I think the long term way of solving the problem is to create our own ecosystem whereby uh, we can have like a funny uh, logistics company that is totally dedicated to us and all of those things. Yeah. So, in terms of quality control, how how do you manage to ensure that? Because you it seems like you're you're mass producing. Yeah. If you're delivering to fifty people in one day, you're mass producing. So how do you how do you um handle or ensure quality control? Yeah, it's quite tough because you know I, I think having to because you are pretty much dealing with a lot of informal people, right? And you have to like because most of the guys that produce for us are really like informal skilled men and you probably have to like um, hammer it into their heads to say this is the standard that we want for, for example for, for me personally most times like twice in a week I practically get involved with the whole production thing going around to see if um, they are still producing to standard and I think part of the things we've been doing is to meet with uh, the operations team we constantly have meetings and classes at the end of each day by 6 p.m because I think the supervisors are the main guys. I can't be there every time. So they have to ensure that the quality is still the same. So so, so for us, it's constantly um, hammering into their heads and also constantly doing um, sessions back to back with all the people that are involved to let them understand the standard. It's really tough, right? But guess what? It's something that we just um, have to do and all of that. Because on the long run, I always try to ensure that, you know what, tell those guys quality is really important, you know. People that bought from Taylor the first time, um, they bought because of the quality and all of that, and it's mm. that standard, right? Um, mm. Even though sometimes when you're producing a mass, you're sometimes tempted to just, you know, let this move, let this move. But guess what? You know what? <laughs> you just put yourself in trouble. Because, for instance, you know, for every complaint you have regarding one furniture, for every one customer that get really pissed, you might have shipped like a thousand pieces. But you really don't know that one customer you piss off, and that's just the truth. So you always have to ensure that everything is fine. That's interesting. Um, so you know, when I think about Nigeria and manufacturing in Nigeria, you know, I think about you know just the lack of power, lack of, of electricity, and I just wonder how that affects you and your because you're you you are producing, you have a factory. I mean, I don't know if it's is is even worth asking. I mean, it's just one of those things I guess people deal with. But but what does that do to your bottom line? Um, I think luckily for us, I think the power situation in Nigeria has increased. Uh, it's better a bit compared to um, the stories I used to share before I started my own business. For instance, uh, our factory is located in an industrial area. And I think um, 
the government has been pretty nice enough to ensure that power is stable. So even when we put on the gen, it's not really for so long. And also, we have like our own backup journey. Because, for instance, power is so important. You know, once the power is off, the machines are down and everything. So, for us, it's really about having like backups in case um, um, the light is off. But funny enough, I think the light situation has pretty much improved. That's fantastic. So, do you ship outside Nigeria? We currently don't do that because of this whole like logistics thing. Um, right. Right. But I think it's something we would, because it's not like we don't get inquiries, but we get to turn them I'm down sure. uh, because of this whole. But for instance, if I'm selling a piece for less than $100 and you're telling me to spend $1,000 to ship that item, like it doesn't make any economic sense. Hmm. So, part of the things we're doing is for places that are in West Africa, like Ghana, it's so easy to ship to places like that. Or places like, because to be honest, when we check our analytics from our website after nigeria the u.s seems to be the next largest space when we have like people check the store for whatever reason right um um so really i, I think at that point we'll get to figure out how to solve that problem but right now let's let's ensure that people are happy at home first yeah and and you all the material is sourced yeah, in nigeria yeah we don't because for instance if if, if we rely on foreign um importing of our stuffs then right now we'll be grounded because uh we won't be able to produce right now. And I know a lot of companies who are like, some of our suppliers that produce, that rely on importing stuff are, are not happy to find any funny right mm. now. So like, and that was the same issue uh, I had with the furniture company I used to work for because they basically imported everything from Italy. And when um, hmm. when I knew there was problem was when, at, at that time, because at the time I was working for them, a dollar to Naira was about $150 um, I mean, around fifty naira to one dollar, right? Because at the time wow. where I, when I left, when the dollar was going to about five hundred uh, naira to I just knew that there was a problem because they their pieces are already expensive. So now for them to have to now like sell without like, so I like I wanted to create a mm-hmm. business that is totally independent of exchange rate to a large extent, so to minimize our risk. That's good to know. So, so are there any other challenges that that you faced? You know, I mean, you're you're still pretty much a startup, but one that's done really well. I wonder if there are any any other challenges that that you faced in the last couple of um, years. I, I think it's just a lack of infrastructure. Um, lack of infrastructure. Infrastructure isn't that great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, the rate at, at which I want Taylor to grow isn't the rate at which we are growing. To be honest, because I wish those systems were already in place and we can just plug into it. But it looks like in this part of the world, you pretty much have to create everything yourself. Um, so, for instance, people like us wanted to be just a designer and marketing company whereby we have a company that manufactures all our pieces for us. Well, it looks like that art of collaboration isn't here. So, you just pretty much have to do everything by yourself. I think that has been like a major problem for me because I just wish those systems are there. So, sometimes you are having like a serious headache for an issue that someone else would have solved easily and they could be making money out of it. I think aside from that, it's also hiring great talent. I think um, hiring talent for the kind of things mm. that you want is a bit tough. Maybe for average businesses that already have existing templates, it might be easy, right? But for people like us, who, who, there's no template for an e-commerce furniture company in Nigeria. There's no template. So for us, we have to pretty much create like right. templates. And the truth is, majority of the things we've been doing is to try it out, stop 
I trade, just do it again. Like it's just learning, relearn, or learn that kind of loophole. That's what we've pretty much been doing. So finding people who sort of understand um, that landscape is just a bit um, tough. Talent is hard to find good talent in Nigeria. I, I, I spoke to my coach one time. So my coach has a startup in Silicon Valley too as well. And I'm like, is it the same issue in America? And he was like, okay. I think it's a, it's a general issue. Finding great talent is a general issue all over the world. Um, so but we just have to find a way hmm. to get over it. Because my, for me, my own philosophy is I'd rather hire one person that is super smart, that can do the work of three people than hire like um, three people who are not great. I agree. I agree. In terms of access to finance, what has been, I know that you, you had an initial seed investment in the beginning, but what has your experience been just accessing finance to, to grow your business or have you not had to, to look for extra money since you, you started? Not everybody will maybe will be as lucky as I am. I would say I've been very, very lucky when it comes to funding. Pretty much, I think the brand is um, creates cash on its own. Okay. Uh, funny furniture businesses are cash heavy um so i think for me and when i was starting the brand uh part of the things i thought about was okay my parents were business people i told my mom i was starting a business i took my master's school fees to fund the business oh, and my dear. mom called me for the first time in her life, almost two hours on the phone, lambasting as to why did I have to do that. So for her, she doesn't really understand why I'm starting a business. As at that time, we're not in good terms because wow. she was like, get yeah, a proper job and why are you trying to risk everything? Why are you trying to risk your education and all of that? Um, so for me, I think pretty much then I like I had like collect money from some of my friends. You know what? Well, loan me this. Let me do this. Then I'll give it back. Before we found people who believed in the business and invested, but for me, I, I I think if you have like a great business and people see that it's growing and you're making money, I think access to funding might not be that hard. Although there is a bit of bias towards women, like like one of our investors said, he said if you met me first, because I'm, I'm I'm a bit petite in stature, so. I looked really small, so that the odds are really against me as a person. I'm female, I'm small, right. I'm black, and all of that. So, but like, if you met me first for the work, you wouldn't have given it to me and all of that. Uh, the truth wow. is, if the work is good, I, I think getting people to support won't be a problem. And the fact that um, the venture capital and angel investing is growing in Nigeria, so people have especially tech founders mm. um, have access to funds now. What are some of the things that you've done to improve yourself but if you can just talk to us a little about some of the things you've done to improve yourself personally and make yourself a, a better business owner um, um for me i'm a big fan of learning uh, and to be honest um, i think when i was starting the brand uh, i read every book possible hmm. from donald trump's books to you know i watched i watched Mary who built america i read every book possible like i read a whole lot and it sort of really helped me. And right now, I, I, I still read a lot. Um, even though, like, I really don't have so much time. But right. I'm a business person, I feel I admire a lot. I, I listen to them, learn from them. I think for me, it's really about reading. There's power in reading, right? Um, hmm. So for me, it's really about reading. You try, you find out something new when you read. You listen to people you admire a lot and let them inspire you. For me, I really don't have a lot of people that inspire me per se. Um but for, for, for people like Jeff Bezos that I know right now, I can't meet personally on a one-on-one. Every video I can get, every video on Steve Jobs, I think I watched a whole lot. Uh, when we're starting Taylor as a brand, and I think well, that's one thing a lot of people love, 
people people love the Taylor brand, right? But guess what? I watched every video of Steve Jobs, how he created Apple brand and all of that. So for me, it's really finding people who are already where I'm going to and learning from them and looking at how they've done it and try to apply it in our own environment. Because different business environments um, have different peculiarities, right? It's the way you run a business in America is right. the way you run a business in Nigeria. So for me, it's really about that. Yeah, and I think I try to meditate a lot. So. <laughs> That's good. So, so uh, apart from reading, um, I know that you did that an accelerator program. Was it She Leads Africa? Yeah. What was that about, and how did that? How do you think that impacted you, if at all? Yeah, I, I know I was part of some accelerators right in the early days, right? Um, so She Leads Africa was for female founders, um, and I think I applied and got in, right? So there, I think prior to that time, we didn't plan on making tailored business, right? But um, after that time, you know, you get to learn a whole lot. I think I think peer-to-peer learning is one of, like, the best things that can happen to anyone. So when you find, like, people like you, women like you, trying to create a business, you get inspired and also find people who can really, like, talk to you about your business and help you grow. Um, so then it was, like, I think there was a boot camp or so uh, where we just had to like come in together, talk about the business, um, learn how to pitch, uh, learn how to talk to investors, um, learn how to um, sell and all of that. And at the end of the day, I think there was just a competition where we get to pitch our businesses to investors. But aside from that, I think it was it was a great experience. Um, likewise for every other um, program I've been part of, like the Tony Lumilu um, mm. um foundation program and as well the diamond bank building entrepreneurs um, program so that's fantastic so about your coach you mentioned that in passing so how did you how did you get a coach and and how has that supported you in your growth i got a coach like towards the end of last year because i was part of the nasdaq milestone makers program and that program they'll attach you to a coach and a coach and some mentors right so it was there i met my coach um the journey of being a founder is really very lonely and sad, to be honest. You really don't have anyone to talk to. Your family does not understand. You can't talk to your employees. You know, your friends still are quite busy. For, for someone like me of my age, majority of my friends are still trying to find a job or try to settle in. So, like, I can't start saying stuff like, you know what, this is what I'm trying to do. You know, you can't just talk to them. You can't relate. But someone like me, it's really, really been a lonely journey, right? And for the fact that they attached me to a coach, that was my first time I was having a coach. I know I have mentors I talk to. There, like, you feel so vulnerable because it tries to get into your head, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> tries to understand what you are feeling. And I felt like each time I talk to him, I feel better. And he's always, like, trying to solve, like, the problem in his own possible way. You know, just get to have a nice time together. And funny enough, it sort of helped me to be a better person. I know yesterday, uh, my sister was telling me that, Jumoka, I think you really, you're a better person now. Like how? <laughs> Something has changed about you. Guess what, you know? Yeah. So basically, that's it. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Um, And what was the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ program about? And how did you get on it? Um, I think KPMG um, reached out to the company that invested in us. Um, I think they were looking for founders from Africa to be part of the program. Um, and luckily, we applied. And luckily, we're the only company in Africa that was chosen uh, to be part of the program. Fantastic. Yeah. 
So every other person was from different continents. Um, so it, it was really, really about creating that one milestone that would change the future of your company forever. And I think um, our mm. own, my own milestone there was creating a scalable production process. So because I know Taylor will be very, very big, and I'm, I'm very sure that one of the issues that we might have in future is producing heavily in mass. Because if in future we get to a point whereby we're shipping to different African countries or we're doing like continental trade, then having to produce in mass with all the issues with infrastructure will be a problem. And pretty much mm-hmm. was great. So once you like hit your milestone, then yeah, they get to say congratulations, put you up on the NASDAQ on New York at New York Times Square. So basically like that wow. was around about yeah. That's awesome. We've talked about the fact that it's not just a furniture company, you're running an e-commerce business. Did COVID affect your business in, in any way at all? I think COVID affected us for good, right? <laughs> to be yeah. honest, we grew the most during COVID, I must say. Fantastic. Yeah, um, we grew the most during COVID. We found out what our business model should be during COVID. We acquired more customers during COVID. We grew like four times during COVID. Um, so COVID, COVID, COVID made us realize... Um, you know what there's there's this bunch of on customers that are unattended to and guess what right now they're in their homes and there's nobody to service them so how are you going right. to fill that gap covid is creating a new world right a new world right. where we live differently uh, and guess what i guess those people are, are ready for you to get to reap the benefits of that and the thing is a lot of people are at home a lot of people are bored their life is changing how do you meet their needs from where they are so people don't have to come to you right now. How do you go to them? And I think that's hmm. businesses that can answer that question that we try at this time. How do you get to people in their homes? Um, likewise for even religious organizations. People don't go to church anymore. So how, do, how does yeah. church get to them in their homes? The same thing for businesses too. How will businesses help people in their homes? If they, they won't come to you anymore. Before they used to come to you, but now how mm-hmm. do you go to them? So that's, now there's power in the hands of the consumers now more than business people. I think that's what we can. Businesses that are ready to do that, guess what? They won't struggle. So what's next for Taylor? Uh, I think for us, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Like <laughs> so, so, so for us, yeah, a whole lot of stuff. Uh, this year we're raising our Series A. Um, we just finished. We just finished our bridge round. Um, so this year we are raising our Series A. Uh, this year we're expanding to Accra. Um, so yeah, we're expanding to Accra because pretty much I was in Accra end of last year and it's pretty much the same problem all African countries are facing um, they have to look up to places like Europe or America or Asia to get furniture you know they are looking for an indigenous brand so we're we going to Ghana this year uh, and for us is how do how do we scale and grow beyond what it is right now so those those two exciting things are, are getting me pumped up for the year. And the fact that we have like lots of, aside from our, our direct-to-consumer arm, we have like lots of exciting projects going on. I think we might be handling one of the biggest projects we've ever handled ever this year. Um, so, so so for me, I'm pumped up because I, I'm happy for the team I have now. And I'm happy for all that's going on. And this year, we're, we're expanding. We're, we're moving from our factory space to get like a space that's four times bigger than where we are now. Wow! So, yeah, our factory space is so tight. <laughs> it's so tight that we just have to leave. Basically, it's really, really about big expansions and you know going to like other territories right now. I'm excited about it to be honest. Great. How does your mom feel about your business now? Well, you know, she acts like she's not impressed. I don't know why. <laughs> 
Oh, mothers. <laughs> for the first time, I took my mom to our office in December, right? You know, like, I've been doing this for years and you've not come around. And, like, she, she came around, it was, she was just looking everywhere. She didn't see anything. She didn't act like she was proud. I don't think that she's happy, but she's just trying yeah. to that hard guy thing. But she'll be okay. So I'd like to end with a reflection and some advice. For you, Jumake, what has been the most fulfilling thing about building this business in Africa? I think from the times I've traveled to other places of the world and I see so much development that's happened there, um, it's really saddening that this place is still a bit backward because we're still trying to solve basic infrastructure problems or basic issues that other countries have solved, right? So sometimes when I when I go outside Nigeria and preach about the business and tell people how it's hard you know, to get furniture to your home in this part of the world, sometimes people look at me like, what's this mundane thing that this girl is saying? But the truth is, that's just the thing. And, and I think for me, every day it's really about how do I help my own people how do I help them to live better and and I think we changing our business model to a direct to consumer brand as it feels impactful to me because you know sometimes I get to see reviews from different customers you know having like thousands of them like your pieces is in like thousands of homes yeah like it's really exciting and like okay yeah I think we can really like create like lots of impact imagine if it's in millions of homes right or hundreds of millions of homes imagine Africans getting like affordable furniture and guess what furniture doesn't have to be for the rich alone millennials can afford it um, middle income guys can afford it um, you know for me that's more impactful I'm grateful for it and I'm happy about that and you know it's more fulfilling right to have like mm-hmm. one of those people happy because of your peace you know Someone lying on your couch is, you know, as long as the person is on that couch, you know, you feel like you've done something for the person, even though the person is spending money, right? But spending his money on something great. And I'm super grateful for the fact that a lot of people that are bought from the brand love the brand, you know, you get to see mm. people talk about the brand. And I'm like, okay, really? Because sometimes, like, I get people, I get, I get to hear people talk about the brand, and I'm like, sorry, is it? Like, you see people that are so excited about the brand, and, and you are like, okay. Oh, we're just building something. We don't know that you guys are just excited about it. But, you know, as long as you are bringing joy to many people, I'm, I'm fine. And I think that's the thing. For me, I don't like being in the lamplight. So, like, a lot of people don't even know me. Yeah, so. But what gives me the joy the most is, like, these people are using those pieces and I'm so excited about it. So there's this particular table. I know we sold about almost, like, 1,500 pieces of that stuff in about hmm. six months. Wow. So for me, like a lot of people are saying, oh, I can work better. I don't have to work from my bed because of this piece. Like, you know, and I, I feel like, well, I just, everything started with an idea for my laptop that I just designed. Like, I don't know if anybody would buy it. But guess what? This piece is in about 1,500 people's homes. You know, wow. you know that, that's what makes me enjoy. Like, how do I create more? So like, like every day, how do I create more? So, that's fantastic. So, I mean, I just want to say thank you at this point. This has been such a great conversation, Jumoke. Um, If you could give one advice to other female entrepreneurs, other female founders, what would it be? Um, it would be don't let anybody tell you what to do with your life, with your time, and with your business. I think you are in charge and you have absolute control of what you can be. Um, as long as you can think about it, you can do it. Um, and I think that's it for me, you know. No, my mom, I was pretty much reserved as a child. So for me, she she like she used to say that she doesn't think I'll be really a responsible adult. But, you know, 
funny enough, like you get to see a lot of guys tell oh, she's female, she can't do it, you know, some sort of funny stuff. And it doesn't work that way. Like I tell everybody that work for me, at work here in Taylor, we're all genderless. There's no male, female. Just have to right. do the work. So as female, as a female founder, don't let anybody tell you what to do. You're to, you in total control of your life. Like you're in total control of your life. I just have to be grateful for it because being female has its own advantage. So when you're doing your business and if you if you are really excited about doing it, then go for it. And guess what? Like the world will marvel at how, how much greatness you can create when you are when you are focused on whatever you are building. Thank you so much, Jamaka. This has been an excellent conversation. Thank you. Now it's a pleasure. Honestly, I enjoyed every bit of it. Thank you so much for listening. If you're not already subscribed, please do so on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to leave us a review so we know how we're doing. I'm Akego Koye, and you have been listening to African Business Stories.